So welcome to New Year's Eve, right? Can I say that the last four years have been crazy? Okay, nod if you agree, yes. The last four years have been nuts. And for some of us, it might have even been a little longer than that. Life has just been absolutely crazy. I mean, for us, this made our sixth year in a different house of putting up a tree in five different states. It's crazy. It's just like, when's it going to stop? This is kind of what Isaiah was speaking to when he was talking to the people and giving them this prophecy. He's trying to give them hope in the midst of their captivity. So hear these words from Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 21. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may Declare my praise. Wow. Okay, so today is 12, 31, 23. Literally, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3. Okay? Crazy. I looked at it and went, I wonder what that means. <laughs> Lord, are we in for it again? I mean, 2020, everybody was like, yeah, perfect vision. Uh-uh. Anyway, who remembers the beginning of this year? Okay, so I have a few news highlights for you. Who remembers the Buffalo Bills player who basically died on the field? His name was Damar Hamlin. I mean, it was crazy. Everybody was praying for him so much so that news sportscasters on ESPN actually stopped what they were doing and prayed out loud. It was crazy. That's something I never expected to see in my lifetime. But that's what happened for DeMar, and now he's living a happy, healthy life. It's crazy. Or who remembers the mysterious balloon? Okay? I didn't realize that balloon was the size of three school buses. Huge balloon. Okay? Or better yet, the Titanic submersible that disappeared and then they found the debris field about 1,600 feet from the original wreckage of the Titanic. Just crazy. Or how about this? Interest rates, okay, the highest that they've been in 22 years happened this year. Fun, huh? Or better yet, what about wildfires? This time it wasn't California, it was Maui. 99 people lost their lives. 99. And let's not forget Hamas's attack on Israel and then Israel's response. And it's still going on. So many lives lost, so many lives in peril. Craziness. And then as if that wasn't enough, a man goes berserk in Lewiston, 
Maine and kills 19 people. That was 2023. It's crazy. And then on top of that, I'm watching the weather, because I'm a weather geek. I love to watch the Weather Channel. And I'm watching as the Pacific Ocean decides in Ventura, California, that it doesn't want to just stay away from the shore. It is flooding restaurants, homes, cars. Eight people have been hospitalized because of the Pacific Ocean, slapping them, essentially, and pounding Ventura, California. Here's some good news, okay? In 2023, COVID was declared no longer a global threat. But they forgot to tell us that RSV would be a threat, right? Okay? It's just crazy, all of this stuff happening. And it seems like you want to go, oh, it's never been this way before. But I got news for you, it's been this way for thousands of years. Which got me thinking about a song that I used to love by Billy Joel called We Didn't Start the Fire. So I did a little research on how he came across this song and wrote it. It seems in 1998, or sorry, not 98, 88. In 1988, so it's a while back, he was in a recording studio and he ran into Sean Lennon. Now, at the time, Billy Joel had just turned 40 and Sean Lennon, 21. And Sean Lennon was going, it's just awful to be 21 years age now, this is just the worst time ever. And Billy Joel's response was, oh yeah, I remember being 21. Um, I thought it was an awful time. I mean, we had Vietnam and, you know, drug problems and civil rights problems and everything just seemed to be awful. To which Sean Lennon's friend said, yeah, 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 but it's different for you. You grew up in the 50s. Nothing happened in the 50s. Billy Joel then responded with, wait a minute, didn't you hear of the Korean War or the Suez Canal crisis? And those two events started his song. He went, oh my gosh. Literally the song, We Didn't Start the Fire, is made up of headlines in a 40-year span with a chorus. And that's it. This 40-year span all happened in his lifetime. So I've got just a small piece of the first verse that starts out this way, and believe me, I'm not singing this. Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio, Joe McCarthy, Richard Nixon, Studebaker, Television, North Korea, South Korea, Marilyn Monroe. And the chorus? We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire. No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. The lyrics are historic. I mean, they're just crazy. And we look at it and we go, wow, there really is always something. One of, one of the things listed, which I thought was kind of unique, was the next part of that verse actually lists the word vaccines. And... and you need to know that the song has been remade and updated. Um, if anybody knows the, the group Fallout Boys, they are the ones who, who did it. And they didn't put vaccines in theirs. So I was like, huh, that's interesting. But this world is broken. We're just 
And it's been broken since the Garden of Eden. I mean, it really just has been. And Israel right now at this particular time in our text is going, really, can it be more broken than this? And Isaiah is only talking to part of Israel. He's talking to the Israelites of Israel, the northern kingdom, and not Judah, who was the southern kingdom. And they've been exiled now for about 50 to 60 years. Imagine, exiled. The awful things that they must have seen. I mean, they're sitting there going, okay, first the Assyrians ruled over us. Then the Babylonians overthrew the Assyrians. And at this particular time, the Babylonians are the ones who are ruling over Israel. And it's funny because God goes, by the way, I'm going to use the Babylonians to bring judgment to you, Israel. But then, of course, the Babylonians start bragging about it. And so God says, oh, yeah, but your destruction's inevitable. So it says this in Isaiah. God, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel says, just for you, I will march on Babylon. I will turn the tables on the Babylonians. Instead of whooping it up, they will be wailing. I am God, your Holy One, creator of Israel, your king. Now, some of you are going, okay, that's not a Bible I've read, but that's the message version. I like the whooping it up part, so I thought it'd be kind of cool to put it in there. It's always good to read several versions when you're doing this. So God is basically telling the Israelites, he's going, don't worry about the Babylonians, okay? Because eventually they're going to disappear because Cyrus, the king of Persia, is going to come kick their butt. So don't worry about it. So then in, able, in a way to reassure them, he tells them in verses 16 and 17 a history lesson. He says, this is what the Lord says, he who made the way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses and the army and reinforcements together and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished and snuffed out like a wick. So any of the Israelites who have been talking with their families and remembering their history so they can remember who they are, know what this is referring to. They know exactly that this that Isaiah is telling them has to do with the people going through the Red Sea. God parting the Red Sea for them to escape Egypt. So that would be very encouraging for them because they're going, yeah, yeah, God is still God and he can still do this. So they're remembering through Isaiah's word that God's sovereign in his care for them, that he loves them deeply, that they are his people and he will carry them through all of the troubles and storms in their lives. And as for the, the enemies of Israel, they will face destruction or as the scripture said, they will be snuffed out. This is God telling them once again, my mighty hand will save. I will do for you like the Red Sea. I will deliver you from captivity. And on some level, you have to wonder if God goes, just patience, just a little bit. Keep looking at me. Keep talking to me. Don't forget that I, God, 
am the one who will deliver you. So this image of, well, slavery, being in captivity again, and freedom kind of reminds them of their time of wandering in the desert and how they are a wandering people. And Israel in Hebrew literally means one who struggles with God. So they get it right, they don't get it right, they get punished, they get it right again, and that's where we're at in this story, in getting it right again. But then God says, but don't think about that too much. Not right now, because I have something else in mind for you. I'm going to do something new. And the people go, wait, what? We're a people where the history matters. Memory matters to us. It tells us who we are. And God's going, but don't think on that. And from the message, again, forget about what's happened. Don't go over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert and rivers in the badlands. Now God has just reminded them of the history right before this. And now he's going, but forget about all that. I'm doing something new. Don't worry about it. Now, you, what you need to know is the verb right here where he's saying, forget about it, don't think about it, is in the command form. It's not in a, well, if you'd like, you, you can forget about this. It is a, forget about it. Move forward. I'm doing something new is the way that it's written here. It's kind of like us as parents going, kids, clean your room. And we expect it done, right? Okay, nod. I want to know you're still awake. Yes, no, maybe, okay. The language here is forget the former things. Don't think on them. It's we're moving forward. And I have to wonder if God is telling them, you know what, because what's going to happen is not going to be the Red Sea splitting again. It's going to be something different, and it's going to look different. But yet he's heard his people going, how long, Lord? 50 to 60 years in captivity is a long time. And wondering what's going on. And so maybe he's heard them languishing about the good old days and going back to the good old days. I mean, after all, when the Israelites did escape Egypt, go through the Red Sea, get on the other side... Didn't they tell Moses, what have you brought us here to die? We ought to go back to Egypt. At least there we had salt and onions and I forget what else they list. But wow, isn't that where we should go? You see, God knows our tendency to make the past an idol. As a matter of fact, John Calvin, in book one of his Institutes, talks about the human mind essentially being a factory of idol-making. We know how to do it. Like the disciples in the Mount of Transfiguration who wanted to, well, freeze that moment in time and go, okay, we're going to build a booth for Moses, we're going to build a booth for Elijah and Jesus, we're going to build a booth for you, and we're just going to stay here on top of the mountain. It's going to be good. And Jesus goes, uh-uh, uh-uh, we can't do that. We have to go down. 
we're just like that. We tend to want to freeze moments in time and hold on to them as long as we can. Or sometimes we think, well, you know, God worked in such and such way. He'll do it again. I got news for you. He doesn't. Not usually. Um, he usually does something totally new, totally out of the ordinary, because God's ways are higher than our ways. And our finite minds cannot grasp all that God is doing. I mean, after all, who do you know other than Moses that got a burning bush? Nobody, right? So God breaks forth in our circumstances just like he does for the Israelites in this. And he goes, I'm about to do a new thing. Can you not see it? Can it is coming up, bubbling up. Do you not perceive it? I mean, the words are filled with an energy and hope. Literally, in the first part of verse 19, Behold, I'm doing something new. Do you not know it? Is what he's saying. The word here in Hebrew is yada. Yada. Now, it might sound familiar to you. Because... Tell me, who, who of you, raise your hand if you've heard this. I know, yada, yada, yada. Okay? Yada is from yada, which means I know. It is literally knowing and understanding. So what God is saying here is what I'm about to do, you can and will understand. You will know what it is when you see it. It's good things that his, what he's about to do is going to be discoverable by human efforts. God, who's way up here, is going to do something that can be discovered by us and by Israel. And they're used to, now remember this is Israel, they're used to being, it being a prophet like Isaiah. They're used to a priestly caste priestly class being the only ones who know what's going on. So we know a little bit more because, well, Jesus came, he bled for us, died for us, rose again for us, and left behind the Holy Spirit to go, oh, child, don't go that way, go this way. So we can even discover it quicker than the Israelites could. We can see God's new things. They're accessible for us. Now, as I was reading this, I found this amazing quote by A.W. Tozer in The Pursuit of God. It says, A spiritual kingdom lies all about us, enclosing us, embracing us, all together within reach of our inner selves, waiting for us to recognize it. God himself is here waiting for our response to his presence. This eternal world will come alive to us the minute we begin to reckon upon its reality. Now Tozer went on to say, Our trouble is that we have established bad thought habits. We habitually think of the visible world as the real and doubt the reality of any other. The world of sense intrudes upon our attention day and night for the, our whole lifetime. It is clamorous, insistent, and self-demonstrating. It does not appeal to our faith. It is here assaulting our five senses, demanding to be accepted as real and final. 
but sin so clouded the, the lenses of our heart that we cannot see the other reality, the city of God. And it's shining around us. The world of sense triumphs and the visible becomes the enemy of the invisible, the temporal of the eternal. At the root of the Christian life lies belief in the invisible. So how many of you believe in the invisible? Yes. God does amazing things that we don't always see, we can't always understand. We didn't start the fire, did we? But it's always burning since the world's been turning. Now you need to understand that please don't get me wrong, justice is always worth fighting for. Justice is always worth fighting for. Sometimes though, our weapon is being on our knees. Being on our knees before God. I mean, could it be that we, like the Israelites of long ago, need to shift our vision from our interest and maybe get a new perspective on what God may be doing in and around us? I mean, this is the basic in the life of faith. It's what we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to be, having this faith in what God is doing. I mean, this summer you learned Hebrews. Remember Hebrews 11, chapter 6? Probably not, so I'll read it to you. He that comes to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. It's faith. And then Jesus, as if to punctuate that, prior to that, said, Believe in God, believe also in me. You see, we can't have one without the other. We have to have that. If we want to truly follow God, we have to believe that he exists. And we have to believe that Jesus Christ came and died for us. We know that Jesus exists. There are history lessons in other places about Jesus Christ and people who met him. Now, we don't have a prophet to come up to us and go, hey, by the way, this is where God is working. We're supposed to be on our knees before the Lord, seeking where he is working. Lord, please show me that I may join you where you are working. I mean, after all, isn't that what Christmas is about? Jesus came down from heaven to earth to be Emmanuel, God with us. And then he left us the Holy Spirit to make sure we're never alone here. He still sits on the bodily, this still blows my mind, bodily sits on the right hand of God, interceding for us. Still sits there. Sometimes we're the ones who go, you know, God, I'm a little busy here. Can I come back later and find out? We choose to make something else more important than our time with him, than our time seeking him. And can I tell you that there's a world out there that's super happy to tell you, well, you're just being an idiot anyway. You're believing in something that's not real. No one can see it. No one can pinpoint it. So you're being foolish. But I love the way God works because... God gave us an answer to that in 1 Corinthians through the Apostle Paul. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. I love Oswald Chambers. Anybody else read My Utmost First Highest? Yeah, a few of you. Love My Utmost First Highest. And that, Oswald Chambers said, God called Jesus Christ to what seemed unmitigated disaster. Jesus Christ called his disciples to see him put to death. He led every one of them to the place where their hearts were broken. Jesus Christ's life was an absolute failure from every standpoint but God's. But what seemed a failure from humanity's standpoint was a tremendous triumph from God's because God's purpose is never man's purpose. These are words we need to pay attention to. Things happen and we go, oh, Lord, that breaks my heart. And somewhere in it, you can almost hear Jesus go, it breaks mine too. Bad things happen and they're going to continue happening until Jesus comes back again and starts to set everything right. But right now, I want you to literally start looking around at your neighbor. Okay? Seriously, turn your heads, okay? Look around, okay? Does this church look like it did a year ago? Does it look like it did 10 years ago? 20 years ago? 40 years ago? Okay, I can tell you I wasn't here, so what you're looking at up here, which is why I told you to look at everybody else, you already know that I wasn't here last year, so. It's already different. God does things that we don't expect. I can tell you that I never, ever imagined, dreamed, wanted to be living in New Jersey. <laughs> but I can tell you also that I never wanted, dreamed, imagined living in Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Idaho, and several other places. But God knows me better than I know myself. And he knew what I needed. And he knew what you needed. And what the other churches needed. And he works. And I go, really? Okay. <laughs> Let's go. Now another statement from, that I absolutely love, one of my favorites from Oswald Chambers is this. There comes a baffling call of God in our lives. The call of God can never be stated explicitly. It's implicit. The call of God is like the call of the sea. No one hears it but the one who has the nature of the sea in him. No one hears the call of God but those who have the nature of God in them. God's calling us to do something deeper. God's calling us to do something higher than we've ever imagined. And I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about churches worldwide. Everybody's going, oh, no, the numbers. Oh, my gosh, the numbers are going down. We're not as many people sitting in the pews. We're, what are we going to do? How do we get them in the building? Can I tell you that we got it wrong years ago? that pastors went, oh yeah, we can get them in the building, it's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go out there. 
Because some, some people that you come in contact with, you are going to be the only Bible that they read. They're going to see you and go, and they're Christian? Huh. As a matter of fact, this morning as I was surfing on Facebook, a friend of mine posted a prayer request. Does anybody remember Katie Von D of LA Inc? She was, I think, Wiccan or whatever. She has given her life to Christ and was baptized in a little Baptist church. And she said that she's getting more complaints from Christians than support. Some of the ugliest things she has heard have been from Christians. We can't do that anymore. We have got to go, Lord, you see something in this person because they are created in your image whether they know it or not. So show me where you are and help me find that Christ spot in their heart or that hole where you're supposed to be and help me to do the things I need to do. Holy Spirit, come now and help. Again, sometimes our best position is on our knees. Because God knows what he's doing, folks. Because he lives on another time than we do. Another reason, there are two words for time in Greek. Kronos, which is what we know and understand and what we live in. But Kronos does not hold God because he's in Kairos time. And time can't hold him. He can't. He is beyond it. He is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's already there. He already knows the decisions we'll make. He's hoping we won't, but he already knows them. He knows the decisions we've made that we go, oh, what did we do? How did we do that? Why did we do that? Lord, help me. Lord, help us. You see, we're supposed to look at him and see the unseen. And in seeing the unseen in this very, very, very visual world, have faith that he is there. That God is there. Jesus Christ, Holy Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are there for us. Then all of a sudden, when we get that faith, suddenly we have more hope than the people out there do. And they want to know about this hope. They don't understand why we cannot be scared when everybody else is. But it's because our hope is in Jesus Christ and not in us. And then love becomes our response to them just as God so loved the world that he gave us his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. And then our focus becomes the Imago Dei, the image of God in other people. And not, eh, I'm not so sure about them. I, you know, all those tattoos and piercings, huh, really? Or, ooh, wow, okay, that, that homeless guy really smells. I got to go this way. And yet God could be calling you to wash their feet. 
Because that's what Jesus does. Our triune God is doing new things all around us and calling us to participate with him. Do you perceive it at last? Let us pray. God, we give you thanks and praise for all that you are doing, all that you have done, all that you are leading us to. Lord, it's all about you. And we pray that you and you alone are glorified as we attempt to reach out and do the things you're calling us to. In Jesus' name, amen.